Well, greetings, brethren. Just doing a sound check before we begin. Bible study will begin in just a couple of moments, God willing, covering Judges 19 and 20 this evening. And I'll just check on the cgi.online.church site. Uh, unfortunately, I cannot see who is logged in uh, anymore with the new format, but I can see who's in the chat. Uh, RJ, Christine, Michael, JD, Murray, and Marion, Sister with Love. Good evening, brethren. Looking forward to getting started in just a few moments. Thank you, Pastor Murray. Got your note. The audio is good. And greetings, uh, Jeff in Macedonia, Ohio. Greetings to you. I think this is the first time we've seen you on. Welcome, everybody. We'll just go ahead and get started now. Well, greetings, brethren, and welcome to another Wednesday night Bible study. Uh, we are up to Judges chapter 19, and we'll cover part of uh, chapter 20 this evening, God willing. And then next week, we should finish the book with the rest of chapter 20 and then chapter 21. And Pastor Murray is going to join me next week, and we'll have some time for a live Q&A. So if you can take the time over the next week uh, to review what you hear in this study, what you've heard in the studies previously, and, and just come with some questions, some comments, and we'll have a live q and I'll be able to take the comments directly off feedbook, uh, Facebook, and uh, Pastor Murray will be watching the live feed on the uh, cgi.online.church site. Uh, this is a difficult chapter, uh, so we'll just open with a word of prayer. Just before we do that, I want to uh, just open with a warning. Some viewers may find the following video disturbing. Viewer discretion is advised. Okay. So viewer discretion is advised. This is an extremely uh, difficult chapter. I'd rather not cover it, uh, but it is in the Bible, and uh, God put it there for a reason. Let's open with a word of prayer, and then we'll get into tonight's study. Our Heavenly Father, our great God Almighty, we come and we bow before you, and we are ever so grateful to you, Lord, for your loving kindness to Israel, for your loving kindness to those of us who have been grafted in to Israel, and for the guidance that you give us, Father, even in these uh, dark days, and we know the days are going to get darker, and yet your light shall shine brighter and brighter. And so, Father, uh, we pray for this hunger and this thirst for your word so that our path can be enlightened. 
We praise you, Lord, and we thank you, and we ask that you'll bless our study this evening, especially as we uh, study this difficult uh, subject matter, which you have inspired by your Holy Spirit. Help us, Father, to draw all the lessons we can from it. We praise you, Lord, and we praise Jesus Christ, and we thank you for his, for his sacrifice and his love, and we pray in his mighty name. Amen. So, brethren, we are going to uh, cover Judges um, 19 and a bit of 20. And what I want to do just before getting into the study is actually open up in 1 Corinthians 10, just to remind us that these things are written, not some ancient, you know, story that doesn't really apply to us. These are things are written specifically for those of us who would be alive at the end of the age. And 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 6, the Apostle Paul writes, Now these things, that is the things that we're reading now, these things were our examples to the intent. This is why God inspired the writing of these things. To the intent, we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. These are God's covenant people. These are the people who inherited the promises from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These are the people who, who left slavery and went into the promised land with the covenant. And yet, with all of that, they lusted after evil things. And God inspired their history to be recorded so that the covenant people in the end time would look back at their spiritual ancestors and learn vital lessons. So what this verse alone tells us is that it is possible, clearly it's possible, for you and for me to lust after evil things despite being grafted into the covenant. And don't say it's not possible. Don't say, oh, once saved, always saved. No, that's a lie. That's, a, that's from Satan. It's not true. These things are written so that we would be on guard. We would be aware and concerned that we don't fall into the same trap that they did. Remember, the devil is active like a roaring lion seeking who he, he may devour. And so these are the covenant people. The devil was after them. We are the covenant people. The devil is after us. In verse 11, he says, Now all these things happened unto them for examples. So the things that happened to them and the consequences that they, they suffered, these things are examples for us. These things are written for our admonition. And, <laughs> this is the actual verse right here. And they are written for our admonition. So we're not reading Judges as some ancient book that has no applicability to us, but it's interesting to read. We're reading it line by line, very concerned that the things that happened to them could happen to us. The consequences that they suffered, we could suffer. And that the Holy Spirit inspired the recording of this history specifically and exclusively, primarily, for those of us who would live at the end of the age, when Satan's activity would be amplified, that he knows he has a short time. And so his activity is going to be very intense. These things are written for us so that we would understand the workings of the devil. And they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. So the, the, the more we go into the future, the more, me, the more we must go into the past. The light to navigate the future resides in the past. And that's why we study Torah. That's why we study the history, 
That's why we study ancient Israel's history, so that we would successfully navigate what's ahead. It's like history repeats itself. It's a pattern. So notice this verse, that all these things, everything that's written, all these things happened unto them for examples. And they are written, they are recorded for our admonition. Don't think this doesn't apply to me. Don't think this doesn't apply to you. Don't think we're so holy and spiritual and we have the Holy Spirit that this, this, this doesn't apply to us. These things are written specifically for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. So as we go into the future, these, these writings become more and more relevant. And then he says, therefore, don't be arrogant. Don't be uh, self-congratulatory. Don't be so super spiritual. Therefore, let him that thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. And so this difficult chapter is written for our admonition, and we are to take heed, lest we fall into the same trap. And I'll tell you that it's already happening. So there's a bit of a pattern in this epilogue of um, the book of Judges, and it's that, you know, in 1760 he says, in those days there was no king in Israel, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. So this is just a recurring theme that if we haven't gotten it by now, hopefully we get it in these final few chapters. And clearly, at the time of writing, that there is a king in Israel. And some people say, you know, the king means a supreme judge, like a, you know, you take it to the court, the supreme. That's not what it means. King means king. And clearly, at this time, there is a king on a throne for Israel. And this, this thing is written to that king to remind him of the devastating effects of the absence of leadership, the absence of godly leadership, and the importance of bringing the whole nation together and pointing them to God. But in those days, before you were sitting on the throne, in those days, there was no king in Israel. And every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And that's very important, brethren, uh, for us in the end time, that it's going, we're, we're going to be arguing um, you know, violently, <laughs> literally violently, that we are right and that our ways are godly. But when we compare it to the Torah, we're, we are way off base because it's in our own eyes that we're right. They're not, they're not doing evil you know, knowing that they're doing evil. They're doing evil believing it's good and it's righteous. And we saw that with this bizarre religion of Micah last week. Where he, has, he has his own priest and he has his own shrine and he's, just, he's making up this religion as he goes along. So he says uh, in uh, chapter 18, in those days there was no king in Israel. And then we can just finish the phrase. So every man did what was right in his own eyes. And then... Now we begin chapter 19. How does he begin it? And it came to pass in those days when there was no king in Israel. I mean, he is really making the point. And for us uh, in this end time, a time where the people cast off restraint, a time when it's all about autonomy and leadership is not respected. So within the covenant community, there's really there's, there's a lack of respect for leadership. You know, everybody's a leader. Everybody's a priest. We don't, need, we don't need elders. And yet, in Ephesians 4, Christ says that that's his first order of priority, 
as soon as he ascended to heaven, the first thing he did was to give the church a gift of leadership. And yet today, we cast off that leadership because we want to do what's right in our own eyes. But the way God works is he works through patriarchy. And he allows the teachings and the learnings and the guidance to come through that patriarchy so that we would not be cast about with every wind of doctrine. And yet, we don't care about that. We don't care what the Bible says. We have our own ideas. And I'm a leader, and I'm a teacher, and every man does what's right in his own eyes instead of saying, you know what? There's a structure that God laid down. Let's respect it. Let's respect that structure. And then God's Spirit will work through that structure. But in the end time, we cast off structure. It's all about deconstruction. We're falling into the trap of deconstruction. And so chapter 19, verse 1, And it came to pass in those days, when there was no king in Israel, that there was a certain Levite sojourning on the side of Mount Ephraim, who took to him a concubine out of Bethlehem, Judah. Now it's interesting, in chapter 17 and 18, we saw a Levite uh, go from Bethlehem, Judah, to Ephraim. Now we're seeing this Levite go from Ephraim to Bethlehem, Judah. And I think that's just a, a literary device here to show that this wickedness, you know, so the first few chapters of Israel, we saw the wickedness in the leadership. Here in the epilogue, we're seeing the wickedness in the people. And by going from Ephraim, the, the, most, the, the biggest tribe, to Judah, the most significant tribe, and then from Judah to Ephraim, I think the author is just showing this wickedness is widespread. It's throughout the land. Yeah, so he took to him a concubine out of Bethlehem, Judah. So this is a Levite who is not taking to himself a wife, and there are uh, very prescribed conditions for the wife of a Levite. No, he's doing his own thing. And so he's taking a, 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 a concubine, out, making a, a woman out of Bethlehem, Judah, a concubine. You can already see the madness and, 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 and the lack of godly leadership. And his concubine played the whore against him and went away from him unto her father's house to Bethlehem, Judah, and was there four whole months. So something happened, the way the scripture reads here. Uh, she, it seems it appears she was unfaithful to him. And, uh, and then she went back to her house. So, so clearly there was a, a breakdown in this relationship and she was there for four whole months he's on his own for four months so uh, he's on his own he's now having to uh, look after his own laundry and uh, food and etc so after four months it begins to weigh on him now how what what is the condition in the torah regarding this unfaithfulness uh in in israel in deuteronomy 22 and 21 he says you know a woman plays the whore then they shall bring out the damsel to the door of her father's house. So she's gone back to her father's house. They shall bring out the damsel to the door of her father's house. And the men of the city, and the men of her city, shall stone her with stones that she die. This is Jesus Christ speaking. And this is the level of his righteousness. And behold, the severity of Christ. Yeah, we know the kindness of Christ, but we also have to know his severity. And, and in the end time... You know, these things are written that we would understand Christ, but most of us don't. We think anything, Christ is just so loving, and he's just so forgiving, and he'll just put up with everything, and Christ has a very high standard of justice. And that's, we have to be concerned about Christ's justice. But we're getting caught up with this world, 
and, 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 and caught up with social justice, and we're trying to justify people whom God condemns and whom people whom God is coming to shed their blood. Jesus Christ is coming. Read it in the scriptures. He's coming to make a man uh, more scarce than fine gold. He's coming to shed blood up to the horse's bridles. He is furious, and he's coming to seek righteousness and righteous justice. And many of us who are seeking social justice are going to find ourselves the enemies of Jesus Christ. We're going to find ourselves justifying those whom God condemns and condemning those whom God justifies. This is why we must stick to the word of God and not do what's right in our own eyes, but rather read the scriptures and do what's right according to God's word. And so according to God's word, this is what they were to do because there's a bigger picture here because she has wrought folly in Israel to play the whore in her father's house. So shall you put evil away from among you. And that's what God wants. This is to be the city on a hill. This is to be the model uh, community that the whole world can learn from. And there's zero tolerance for this type of iniquity. And yet, and this Levite should know the law. He, there, this, is just, this is just one of many verses. The Levite should know the law. He shouldn't even be married to a concubine. Now, <clears throat> verse 3. And her husband arose and went after her to speak friendly to her. Now, clearly this man is a user. He doesn't love the woman. He's not honoring the woman out of Bethlehem, Judah. And she's played the whore against him. And yet, he, I guess he misses her. And he missed, maybe he doesn't so much miss her, but he misses her favors. And he misses somebody cooking for him. And he misses somebody picking up his dirty clothes. And maybe he's going to the temple in his garments. And they're not just as, they're not as clean and bright as they usually are. And so he has a use for her. But it's not love. It's not the model marriage that the Levites should be uh, exhibiting to the rest of Israel. So her husband arose and went after her to speak friendly to her and to bring her again. Having his servant with him, and probably some form of protection as he travels to Bethlehem, Judah, and a couple of donkeys. So he's got to have a transportation so that when he gets her, she can come back on one of these donkeys. And she brought him into her father's house. So she's willing to talk to him and try to make amends here. So she brings him into her father's house. And when the father of the damsel saw him, he rejoiced to meet him. And his father-in-law, the damsel's father, retained him. And he abode with him three days, so they did eat and drink and lodge there. And not a single word here about the law of God except to say that it's the father-in-law. So that, that's the only thing we see about the law. But the Levite doesn't care about Torah. The Levite doesn't care to bring righteousness to this situation. He's just happy to eat and drink with his father-in-law. And I guess there's a bit of shame if uh, the woman was married and she leaves the husband and then she's going to be divorced and she was already at concubine status. And so the, the father-in-law is really happy that perhaps he can bring some honor back to his daughter. And the Levite is very selfish, and he just wants the use of this woman in Israel, in Bethlehem, Judah. And it came to pass on the fourth day, when they arose early in the morning. So they're fellowshipping and having good hospitality and brotherhood for three days. Now it's time to go home. So it's a long journey. 
So they get up early in the morning because it's going to be a long journey and they want the benefit of traveling during the day. So they arose early in the morning that he arose to depart, that he rose up to depart. And the damsel's father said to his son-in-law, comfort your heart with a morsel of bread and afterward go your way. So, you know, uh, it's a long journey. Make sure you're well fed. You know, you're going to get hungry on the way. Take some time with me and let, ha have a meal. There's real hospitality here. And uh, I know when I used to uh, visit my grandmother in England, uh, it was exactly like this. They were just so hospitable. And the, the train journey uh, from Manchester to London, long, it was a long journey. And she would just you know, pack me up with food and make sure that I had enough. And uh, they were old school and, and extremely hospitable. Uh, you, don't, you don't see so much that level of hospitality that much in younger generations. You do in some, but it's really old school here. And they sat down and did eat and drink, both of them together. For the damsel's father had said unto the man, Be content, I beg you, and tarry all night, and let your heart be merry. Like, why, why are you rushing off? Like, let's, let's enjoy each other's company. And when the man rose up to depart, his father-in-law urged him, Therefore he lodged there again. So now he's there for the fourth day. And he arose early in the morning on the fifth day to depart. And the damsel's father said, Comfort your heart, I beg you. And they tarried until afternoon. And they did eat both of them. So he is really uh, persuasive and perhaps a really good host. And uh, the man, probably the, the woman is doing the cooking. Um, but they're, they're doing the fellowshipping. And they did eat both of them. It doesn't say that the woman ate, but uh, they are certainly enjoying each other's company. And when the man rose up to depart, he and his concubine and his servant, his father-in-law, the damsel's father, said unto him, Behold now, the day draws toward evening. Like, what's the point? Like, now, now it's nighttime. You know, you're heading into sunset. I pray, tarry all night. You might as well, you might as well spend the night. Behold, the day grows to an end, lodge here, that your heart may be merry. And tomorrow get you early on your way, that you may go home. But now the man is determined, okay, this has gone on too long. We really have to get back. Probably he uh, is missing the, the company of his concubine, and he just wants to get back. But the man would not tarry that night. So, so what does it say here in verse uh, 8? He says that the day draws toward evening. So the sun has already passed the peak and it's heading towards the evening. The day grows to an end. You might as well stay. And tomorrow you can leave. But no, it's, so it's late afternoon, but the man would not tarry that night. But he rose up and departed. So he really had to tear himself away here and say, no, I'm leaving. And, and so they left. Remember, it's late afternoon. And so they left and came over against Jebus, which is Jerusalem. So before David conquered Jerusalem and made it the head, headquarters of, the, of Israel, uh, the Jebusites, the Gentiles, the Canaanites uh, had it. And so it was called Jebus. And there were with him two donkeys saddled. His concubine also was with him. So they've left and now they've come to Jebus. And, when, and remember, they are in Bethlehem, Judah. So Jerusalem would be in Bethlehem, Judah. So, but they're making their way back to Ephraim. And when they were by Jebus, or Yebus, the day was far spent. So they left late, and now the day is far spent. And the servant said unto his master, Come, I pray you, 
and let us turn into this city of the Jebusites and lodge in it. So the servant realizes, you know what? It's starting to get dark here, or it's about to get dark. Um, we're here in this city. We can find some accommodation here. Uh, let's let's be safe. and Let's just turn into this city of the Jebusites, and we can lodge in it. So what does the Levite say? And his master said unto him, We will not turn aside here into the city of a stranger that is not of the children of Israel. So you can see that even though there's a lot of wickedness in Israel, they still understand that they are separate and apart from the Gentiles. And this man, uh, in his wisdom, the Levite in his wisdom, so first of all, they left late, so they didn't make it, make it as far as they could have. They did make it to Jabus. But even though the night is coming, he, he doesn't want to stay in a Gentile or a pagan city. He wants to push on so that he can be among the Israelites. So uh, we will not turn aside here into the city of a stranger that is not of the children of Israel. We will pass over to Gibeah. So Gibeah uh, is going to belong to one of the tribes of Israel, to Benjamin. And he said unto his servant, Come, and let us draw near to one of these places to lodge all night, in Gibeah or in Ramah. So both of these cities actually would be in the allotment that was given to uh, Benjamin. And we see that in Joshua, in Joshua 18 and verse 21. Now the cities of the tribe of the children of Benjamin, according to their families, were Jericho and Beth, Bethogla and the Valley of Kaziz. And it lists all these cities. And then we drop down to verse 25, Gibeon and Ramah and Beroth. So Gibeah and Ramah were allotted to Benjamin. So the Levite is happy if rather than to stay in Jabus, which is now Jerusalem, he would be happy to get to Gibeah or to Ramah because uh, that's the allotment given to Benjamin. And sorry, this reference is wrong. I need to get back to Judges 19. Give me a second here. Yeah, that's, so so um, so he's pushing to get to the city of um, Israel, which would be in Benjamin. So hopefully this reference is correct now. Let me just get back down to it. <clears throat> okay. So verse thirteen. And he said to his servant, come, let us draw to one of these places. We'll lodge here. So then I said, this is what Joshua allotted to uh, Benjamin. And then we come here, verse 15. And they turned aside there to go in and to lodge in Gibeah. And when he went in, he sat him down in a street. I just want to make sure I'm in the right way. Oh, sorry, I missed a verse. Verse 14. Uh, and they passed on and went their way. So they didn't stay in Jabus. And the sun went down upon them when they were by Gibeah. So they did make it to Gibeah just, by, just as the sun set, which belongs to Benjamin. So we saw that in Joshua. And they turned aside there to go in and to lodge in Gibeah. And when he went in, he sat him down in a street of the city. So remember, it's sunset now that's getting dark. So he sits down in a street of the city. Why? 
for there was no man that took them into his house to lodging. This is unbelievable. We, we don't understand the depth of this because to a certain extent, the Western world is, is a bit in, inhospitable. It's, you know, maybe in the south, south, southern part of America, they still have a spirit of hospitality. But in the big cities and certainly in the north and certainly in Canada, uh, you know, there's so much prosperity. We just don't have this. Um, whereas in the ancient Near East, hospitality was a big deal. And if somebody was traveling, you know, you just, you don't allow somebody to be vulnerable. You bring them into your home and you, you, you know, you saw the hospitality in Bethlehem, Judah with the, uh, the concubine's father. It's that spirit of hospitality. Uh, even to this day in the Middle East, they still have this, uh, very, very hospitable people. Something's terribly wrong here. This is the first indication that something is amiss, that here he is a Levite coming into a city of Israel and nobody gives him accommodation. And we, these things are written for our admonition and we should ensure that our congregations are hospitable and that if we have a guest, that we are hospitable to this guest. You know, the, the, uh, Paul says in Hebrews that we might be entertaining angels unawares. But here in Matthew 25 and verse 35, our Lord says that I was hungry and you gave me meat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. And then he goes on to say, for as much as you've done it to the least of one of these, you've done it unto me. So this is speaking of the body. Now, the socialists will use this to say, oh, we have to let in everybody into our countries, but that's not what Christ is saying. Christ is saying, if you treat, you have to discern the body. And so you need to understand when somebody is an extension of Christ. And if you do do it unto the least of these, the, the the body, the extension of Christ. You've done it unto Christ. And, and again, sometimes we can be in congregations perhaps that are not so hospitable. And this is a dangerous thing because we're actually turning away. And we don't discern, we don't make a difference between those who have the Holy Spirit and those who don't. And we certainly are going to love all men. We're going to be uh, servants to all men, but especially unto those of the household of God. So these things are written for our admonition. And again, I'm having some trouble here with uh, the reference. This is going back to th uh, Judges 3, um, which is interesting that this Ehud was a left-handed man, but I don't want that. So forgive me here while I just try to see what is going on with my references. So I see it there, Judges 3. Why did it do that? It shouldn't have done that, so let's fix that. Sorry, brethren, I tried to uh, check all of this before I go live, but obviously that's uh, slipped through the cracks, so we'll, uh, we'll find it, and everything will be just right. Oh, what's going on here? Okay. Let me just take a moment. Thanks for your patience, brethren, as we just get through this. Let's go, judges. There we go. Okay, right there. Okay, so just so all of that to say that um, today we need to be very careful about a spirit that's inhospitable. We want to make sure, and I know I've traveled to various uh, congregations, there's a lot of hospitality in the church, great hospitality. Uh, we need to retain that spirit of hospitality, and that's something that we're admonished over and over again to ensure that we are 
being hospitable. And that's the way that many of us can serve. You know, we, we can't all give Bible studies, we can't all give sermons, but all of us can be hospitable. And uh, even, even in this COVID lockdown, you can, we can make phone calls, we can make Zoom calls or go-to-meeting calls, whatever, and find ways to, to be hospitable. Judges 19, verse 16. And behold, there came an old man, and this, this is really interesting, that, again, you know, it's, it's not a young man, it's an old man. So he says here, there came an old man, and if you think about this, uh, old school. So this man, an old man, he, he was either, he came out of the um, Egypt, or his parents or grandparents came out of Egypt, but he's not that disconnected. And if you think about our day today, where we are today, think of army veterans, veterans who came from World War II, who might still be alive today. They're cut from a different cloth. They have a different value system. And so, you know, they, they are more likely to be far more hospitable, or they would just have different values. Think about the values of somebody coming from the 1950s to the values of today. And those people who were in the 50s might still be alive today. And it's a completely different generation. So you can just see in, in our day where you know, people were so grateful for Christ's intervention after World War II. And in schools, we, you know, we had Remembrance Day, and we had songs, and we were so grateful for the sacrifices of, of those before us. Today, we spit on these people. Today, we don't care. Today, we have no gratitude. And so you can even see in our day what a few decades does. And it separates people from the values of the past. And so here, it was an old man that was, was willing to uh, be, a, be hospitable. And behold, there came an old man from his work out of the field at even, which was also of Mount Ephraim. So he is not a Benjamite. So there's something that has happened to the Benjamites that he was not exposed to. He comes, he's old school, and he comes from a different location. He comes from Ephraim. And he sojourned in Gibeah, so he was staying in Gibeah. But the men of the place were Benjamites, so he was staying there. And so he had a sense of what these people were like, but he was not like them. And when he had lifted up his eyes, he saw a wayfaring man in the street of the city. So he's going about his business, and he looks up and he sees this man. And the old man said, where are you going? And where did you come from? And he said unto him, we are passing from Bethlehem, Judah, toward the side of Mount Ephraim. From thence I am, that's where I came from. And I went to Bethlehem, Judah, but I am now going to the house of the Lord. And there is no man that receives me to house. So most likely this is Shiloh that he's going back to. And uh, there's no man that receives me to house. So he can't believe it. He's just like, there's nobody will, will put us up. And then what he says here, <clears throat> he says, Yet there is both straw and provender for our donkeys, and there is bread and wine also for me and for your handmaid, and for the young man which is, with, which, which is with your servants. There is no want of anything. So I'm not going to be a burden to anybody. 
I have all my provisions. I, I have, he probably has a lot of food from his father-in-law, uh, but I've got everything and, I'm the don- and, and I don't need anything. I just need accommodation. And yet nobody will even give me that accommodation. And the old man said, peace be with you. Howsoever, let all your wants lie upon me. So even though you have what you need, don't use anything of what you need. I will look after everything for you. I will be completely hospitable to you. I'm old school. I'm cut from a different cloth than the people here. Only do not lodge in the street. So clearly, this man understood something about these Benjamites. And he's saying to the man, please, I beg you, do not stay in the... Like, this This is unwise. You have no idea what you're doing if you think you can just lodge in the street. And you know, some of these uh, cities that I have traveled to, um, in the day, they're okay. But as soon as the sun sets and, it, and, and pe- the business people, the, the employers, employees, they all leave, the, the tone of the streets just changes at night. And, and this is what he's saying. And we even saw this recently with, what was it called? Uh, Chaz, the chop, Chaz, whatever it was called. Uh, during the day, oh, it was like a little bit of a celebration. At night, it was ruthless. It's like the demons come out at night. So he's saying, do not, please, I beg you, don't, just come with me. So he brought him into his house and gave provender, even though he said, I have everything, the man's very hospitable. He gave provender unto the donkeys, and they washed their feet and did eat and drink. Now, so as they were making their hearts merry, behold, the men of the city, certain sons of Belial, so these are worthless men, and uh, we have that today. You know, when we talk about sons of Belial, we have that today, where you think of uh, Antifa, these people who are going nowhere, doing nothing, living in mom's basement, and uh, yet when they get into a mob, they are very dangerous. They are, they are worthless people, and they don't, they've done nothing productive, and yet when they get into a mob, they can be very, very dangerous. And so uh, here we're, we're told these are worthless uh, men of Belial. So uh, they beset the house roundabout and beat at the door and spoke to the master of the house, the old man saying, bring forth the man that came into your house that we may know him. And that this means they want to homosexually rape him. These are Benjamites. These are people of the covenant. And they are speaking about a man of the covenant. They're speaking about a Levite. And none of them would would, uh, give him accommodation. Maybe part of that is because they realized whoever puts him up, they're going to have to deal with the mob. And we see the same thing happening to us today with Antifa, with Black Lives Matter, with all of these sons of Belial that rather than oppose them, people just go along. They don't want the trouble. Even Christians go along. And I think that's something that we, a dynamic that we see here where this mob is very dangerous and very powerful. And rather than get get on the wrong side of them, it's just easier to go along. So nobody's willing to give him accommodation. This is probably why. But the man, the older man, is not a Benjamite. He has good values, and he's, he's not going to allow them to stay in the street. So now they know where this man went, 
And it's very important to them, it's a high priority item to them that they know him homosexually. And, uh, you know, again, this is something that these things are written for our admonition. And we have a lot of people today who are supporting the likes of Antifa and Black Lives Matter. And, and, And this whole notion of defunding the police, what a stupid, 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 immoral, insane idea. Defund the police? You know, God, God is a God of law and order. And, and he puts governments in place. And, and we want to defund the police? Uh, this, this, is, this is absolute madness. Absolute madness. So, you know, this is what happens when you defund the police. The people come and beat at your door and don't bother calling 911. In fact, uh, in, in Minneapolis... The attorney general, the highest law enforcement uh, individual in Minneapolis, the attorney general, uh, uh, Keith Ellison, says he doesn't want police officers responding to rape calls. So now that they're defunding the police, uh, he's got to prioritize. And he says, if you've been raped, don't call the police. Call a counselor. He says, well, why would you call the police? Call a counselor. And, and, you know, let me, let me um, unpack this for you. Keith Ellison is part of the Muslim Brotherhood. And Muslims have an ideology written in their holy sacred scripture that they are authorized to rape infidel women. So it's going to be very uncomfortable for him as the attorney general to be at mosque with a rapist, Muslim, who's raped, a, uh, uh, what do they call them, a kafir, unbeliever, and have to prosecute, have to go through prosecution. If somebody's been raped, of course they need counseling, but they want justice. They want justice. But social justice means we can wink at the law and allow this kind of behavior to take place and, uh, and, and, and not, not do anything, not prosecute it. So this is where we're going. All of our Christian brothers and sisters who are supporting Black Lives Matter You've got to be able to connect the dots. You've got to be able to think ahead. I, I've been warning brethren about this for four years, going on five years. You know, I feel like the Apostle Paul, night and day with tears, trying to get them to understand how evil and wicked, and these are sons of Belial, worthless people, and yet we have Christians supporting them. And I, and I see you know, Christ is going to punish these Christian brethren uh, so severely because they are guilty of mass murder on at least three levels. Level one is just the, the, the regular human beings, common people who are just going about their life, but they just happen to be of the wrong race and they're in the wrong place at the wrong time. And they get a bullet in the head, like this uh, young uh, 23-year-old mother that was killed two weeks ago, shot in the head because she dared say all lives matter, which is the gospel, that all lives matter. But she dared say it, and, and she, should have, she should have got down on her knees and said black lives matter and worshipped the god of Balaam. But she didn't say that, so she got shot in the head. Another man got shot in the head because he, was, he supported Donald Trump. Even though he does support black, he did support black lives matter, but he also supported Donald Trump. They didn't like that. You have to be wholeheartedly devoted to Balaam. Balaam doesn't want any compromise. He wants your wholehearted devotion. So he was shot in the head. So these are just uh, people who are just going about their business, 
and they're being assassinated and murdered and raped and tortured and, and lives destroyed and, 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 and uh, uh, canceled because they will not worship Balaam. And we have Christians who are supporting that. God will hold you accountable for that. Level two. These are the, if you look at uh, the people of God with the Holy Spirit who are also going to suffer as this Baalim movement and Antifa and Sunrise and Resist Fa and, and Islam, they're all colluding together and working together. They all agree together to destroy Western civilization. As they gain traction, Christians are going to suffer loss. Already they're burning Bibles. Baalim, Black Lives Matter, burning Bibles. And we have Christians supporting them because they, they, they haven't been able to connect the dots and when we say this is a Marxist organization, they don't understand what that means. They don't understand the, the depth of wickedness of Marxism. They don't understand. So that's the next level. The third level, which I think they haven't connected the dots, is that Balaam, Antifa, Sunrise, Resisfa, all of these movements, including Islam, they are all colluding together to bring down Western civilization and specifically America. When America collapses, <laughs> woe unto Christians all over the world, but also woe unto Jerusalem. Jerusalem sits in the midst of hatred. Jerusalem is surrounded by neighbors that, that want to annihilate her and remove her from the face of the map and destroy every Jew in Jerusalem. And these are covenant people. And God's heart is for Jerusalem. And God's heart is for his covenant people. He wants to punish them, but he wants to drive them to repentance. And it says in Torah that he will use Gentiles to drive his people to repentance. But then once they repent, he will then punish those Gentiles severely for touching the apple of his eye. And those Christians among us, covenant people, first fruits of Israel, are supporting those Gentiles that want to utterly destroy Jerusalem. And when that happens, all of that blood, read uh, Zechariah 12 and Zechariah 14, all of that blood and rape and torture and, and, and theft, all of that loss that Judah will face when these neighbors finally get their way because America will have collapsed from civil war and it will be completely unable to protect Jerusalem any longer, all of that will be on their shoulders. Level four, maybe I shouldn't say level, just another category. If you think about um, what Marxism means and the immorality of it and how they harm children. So here's the leader, one of the leaders of Black Lives Matter charged on six counts of child sex abuse and possession of images of underage girls. Of course, they are Marxists. They don't have Christian morality. They are pedophiles. They are into transgenderism and into just destroying the nuclear family and working against the nuclear family. And yet we have Christians who will fight against me, a, a minister of Jesus Christ. They will fight against me and they will side with these Marxists. This is where we are. That's why we're reading Judges. These, these things are written for our examples. So when we give power to Marxists, we only have to look at Chaz. I think that's less than Chaz. 
yeah, Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, and then they called it CHOP. That was just a, a sample of the future, what's coming. And so what's coming, we're going to see where we're going to have people surrounding, defund the police, okay, now people are beating at your door, who are you going to call? You know, defund the police, and now, you know, um, Keith Ellison, a Muslim, and uh, Ilan Omar, Muslim, they, they want to defund the police because you have to read the Quran, the Hadith, and, and, and the Sirah to understand the instructions to Muslims as to how to treat unbelievers. And, and of course, we can't have police interfering with that process. So you're a Christian, you want to support this. So they beat at the door and spoke to the master of the house, the old man, saying, bring forth the man that came into your house that we may know him. And here in Deuteronomy 13, we just see how to handle these children of Belial. Somehow they, they, it's like a, a virus that spread in Benjamin. But from the very beginning, Deuteronomy is clear, the Torah is clear. If you shall hear say in one of your cities, Deuteronomy 13, 12, which the Lord your God has given you to dwell there. So we're talking now about Gibeah, one of the cities that has been given to Benjamin to dwell there. But if you shall hear in one of these cities saying, certain men... The children of Belial are gone out from among you and have withdrawn the inhabitants of their city, saying, Let us go and serve other gods which you have not known. And then he goes on to say uh, what the um, punishment for, that sh for those men should be. And yet people have de departed from the law, and so they're allowing everything and anything. And these sons of Belial are thriving. Now, what we're about to read In Judges 19, the author, which we believe to be Samuel, has written it in a way to parallel what Moses wrote in Genesis 19. That, you know, before, uh, when, when the angels came to visit Lot, before they lay down, the, the, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, surrounded the house, both old and young. It's a virus, and it spreads, and it's contagious, and everybody gets on board. All the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot and said unto him, Where are the men which came into you this night? Bring them out to us that we may know them. So we're seeing here, you know, this was, um, uh, these are pagans, obviously. These are Sodomites. These are uh, the people of uh, Sodom. But now we're reading the people of Israel. And they are behaving exactly like the surrounding nations. God said to them, when you go into the land, remove these people from the land completely so that you can be the model nation and the rest of the world can see the model nation of, of, of God. But they didn't do that. They coexisted with the people and then they learned of their ways. And so th this idea, they, they, they learned this from the, the Gentile people around them. And, and it's a contagion. It's like, oh no, this we would, you know, when they first came into the land, this would have horrified them. And now they're engaged in it. So we read here. And, I, and yeah, so let me just continue. The man, the master of the house, went out unto them like Lot did. And he said unto them, No, this, this is the difference now. Lot, Lot couldn't say this to the people of Sodom. The people of Sodom were not of his kith and kin. But here, this master of the house goes out to these Benjamites and says, No, my brethren, let that sink in. My brethren, 
No, I beg you. So this man, he's not a Benjamite, remember, but he is an Israelite. And he sees them as brethren. And he says, do not so wickedly. This is wickedness. So there's nothing in this that we can excuse and say, well, they didn't really mean this. They meant something else. This, it is clearly uh, the epitome of wickedness. And the man, the man just can't, look, please don't do so wickedly. Seeing that this man has come into my house, and that's, that's again, an ancient Near East value system, where nothing happens to when somebody comes into your house, you're responsible for them. And we saw, we, we, you know, we, we saw that with Lot, uh, where he was willing to sacrifice his daughters to protect the men who came into his house. <clears throat> Same thing here again. He says, "Do not this folly." So, so whatever this thing is they're planning to do, it is folly. It is wickedness. The man can't believe it, and he's pleading with them, do not do it. Now, they got this from Sodom. Where did Sodom, where did the Sodomites get this from? Where did the Sodomites get this from? You know, now the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits. Now we need to take this very, very seriously. There's some sickness that happened in Israel among the Benjamites, and it took over the majority of the Benjamites, as it, and it came from Sodom. But what we see here, if we, if we look at this, just think of it this way, that he, there, there's the human realm, but there are spiritual concepts that come into the human realm. So Jesus Christ has spiritual teachings that we could never make up ourselves. We could never invent these ideas. We could never come up with the idea that a God would be willing to become man, to, to, to sacrifice himself, to redeem his people, and then through his people to redeem the rest of the world. That is an idea and a concept that we could never make up. It comes from another dimension, but it comes into the human dimension. And then Paul says that these things that you have heard of me, so Paul got them from Christ, from this spiritual dimension, these things that you heard of me and among many witnesses, the same commit you to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So this is how this concept that comes from heaven spreads among men through faithful teachers. But the opposite is also true. There are ideas and concepts that come from the demonic world, but they come into the human realm. And, and, and the, the prophecy speaks expressly that, you know, these things are written in the past for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world have come. And now what we see here is that for those of us who live in the end time, that the Spirit speaks very plainly about this, that in our end times, certain shall depart from the faith. The way we saw the Benjamites depart from the covenant and the Torah, and they will give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. So this is very, very dangerous, brethren. We're dealing with something extremely dangerous here. We don't understand the full extent of what we're dealing with. But Paul is trying to warn us that the Scripture is plain. It is as plain as day, as plain as the nose on my face, that in the latter times, not only will they depart from the faith, but they'll give themselves over to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. So that's where we are, and, or that's where we're heading. 
And that should tell us about the behavior of Christians or former Christians, brethren who are among us, who allow themselves to depart from Torah, who, who allow themselves to be governed by something other than, value systems other than the word of God. So please, brethren, I'm pleading. You know, if you know brethren and maybe you can reach them in a way that I can't, this is serious stuff. This is serious. It doesn't get any more serious than this. And if they give way, Satan is not playing. He, he, he is out to kill. But he's going to take down as many as possible. And so we think that it's not possible for Christians to become homosexual rapists. The, the idea of a man raping a man, this is an idea that human beings, I don't think by ourselves we would ever come up with this. But this is doctrines of demons. What, what does the scripture refer to these Benjamites as? Sons of Belial. Sons of Belial. That these doctrines and ideas that were given to the pagans, because they don't know God, the Israelites picked them up. And these ideas come into their head, and then that changes their behavior. And they develop an appetite for things. They lust after evil things. And the, the Spirit warns us, read these scriptures so that we would not fall into this trap of lusting after evil things. All those who are running after Balaam, this, this, this is an organization of sexual perversion, transgenderism, the, the design of God they want to violate and oppose. These are doctrines of demons. God makes a man and a woman and says this pictures Christ and the church, and that the family is holy and symbolic, and he himself is building a family, and we can learn of what God is doing. These are doctrines of Christ that come into the human realm. And then there's this other organization that's saying, we want to destroy the family. We want pedophilia. We want homosexuality. We want transgenderism. These are all doctrines of demons. And Christians think they can play with this. You're playing with Satan, my friend. And he is smarter than you. He is very clever. He's an, he's an intellectual of the highest order. And he's a strategist. And he moves in, in seducing spirits. They don't do everything right away. It's incremental. Benjamin didn't come, uh, become a group of homosexual rapists overnight. Seducing spirits. It takes time. And these things are written for our admonition. This is very, very serious. He says here, Behold... Here is my daughter, a virgin. So he, he's willing to sacrifice his daughter. And the man's concubine. So to them, this is sort of like the lesser of two evils. Them I will bring out now and humble you them. Do, do whatever you want to them. And do with them what seems good unto you. We don't care. Do whatever you want to them. But unto this man, do not so vile a thing. So again, whatever it is, he, he knows what they were planning. And this is a vile thing. All of them had to run into him. They want to bring, bring out the man. He's probably seen them do something like this before. Bring out the man that all of us may know him. Who comes up with an idea? This, this is right out of the mind of the devil. This goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden and how he seduced Eve and then seduced Adam. And then when he was done with them, they knew they were naked because their genitals were manipulated in a satanic way. The, the, whatever they were exposed to, they would have never thought of that themselves. But Satan put these things into their mind. And this is a vile thing. This comes out of the imagination of the devil. 
Who could do such a thing? But these are people of Israel. Now, how should men treat their wives and their daughters? How, how should men, you know, when the Titanic was sinking, the men said, give all the life jackets to the ch women and children and let the men go down without life jackets. If we have to die, we have to die. If that were to happen today, it's like every man for himself and you would see children drowning and you'd see women drowning and who cares? You would see men taking the life jackets off children and taking them off women to, to save themselves. But there were some Christian values ancient, uh, a few years ago, a few decades ago. And what you will see now, so here, Ephesians 5.25, he says, Husbands, love your wives. The way that Christ loved the church. And how did he love the church? He gave himself for it. So there is no way a man is going to throw his wife to the, to the mob to say, do whatever you want with her, but leave me alone. That, that, that's a doctrine of devils. Out of the mind of Christ is to say, I will sacrifice myself to protect my wife. Someone who's under, and my children, who are under my care. Do whatever you want to me, but don't touch them. That's Christ. That's the mind of Christ. And yet, what we see now, in fact, you'll see this. All over the world, wherever women are respected, you will see the influence of Jesus Christ. There is no country in the world, nowhere, anywhere, I challenge you to show me any country in the world where women are treated graciously, where Christ's influence is not in that country. And now we're working so hard through Antifa, um, Black Lives Matter, uh, uh, Resistfa, Sunrise, all of these organizations, these communist organizations, Islam, to destroy the influence of Christ on society. And I'm telling you, when that's all removed, this is what we're going back to. This is what we will see. You know, you even see it today in the Muslim countries where uh, a man will, will, will uh, rape a woman and then uh, the husband will just chop her up afterwards. So we need the influence of Christ. And everybody who takes Christ for granted, everyone who thinks Christ doesn't matter, you're going to find out just how much he matters. You're gonna, we, we, already, we know how much he matters. And we will lay down our lives for him. So people are powerless over us because we've committed ourselves to Christ. But others are benefiting from Christ, but they're not committed to him. And they're going to find out what life is like when Christ is removed from society and the doctrines of demons take over. So this is how the man should have treated his wife. But the men, verse 25, the men would not hearken to him. They wouldn't listen to him. They're just full of lust for evil things. But the men would not hearken to him. So the man took his concubine and brought her forth unto him, unto them, and they knew her. So this is demonic behavior. He didn't care about her. He only went to get her because he needed someone to do his clothes and he needed a companion. He, she's out of Bethlehem, Judah, and he made her a concubine. And he's a Levite. And so he brings her. And now these men, they're, they're just sexual perverts. 
and he knows what they are, and he throws his wife to the wolves. The men, and so the man took his concubine and brought her forth unto them, and they knew her. And, and it's hard to read this. They abused her all the night until the morning. Can you imagine? Like, w- these are Benjamites. And what I'm warning you, brethren, is the future, the dark future that we are going into. We're going to see similar behavior from former Christians. People who called themselves Christians. People who were singing the hymns and saying the prayers. And, oh, that was a great sermon. Oh, that was wonderful. And reading the scriptures. But they're not anchored in the scripture. And they allow themselves to be seduced by other doctrines. And Satan knows what he's doing. It's inc- seduction is incremental. And so once they let go of the scriptures and they have other social justice and racial justice and family justice and everything justice, but not Christ justice, not righteous justice, not biblical justice, they're getting seduced. They're getting pulled away from the Bible. And the devil is clever and powerful. And the end time is going to be like nothing we've seen before. And so this, the past is prologue. They knew her and abused her all the night until the morning. And when the day began to spring, they let her go. This is sort of demonic behavior. When the light comes, then, then they go away. They finally let her go. Then came the woman into the dawning of the day and fell down at the door of the man's house where her Lord was, the one who should, her protector, couldn't care less about her, till it was light. So she, so it's not even like, you know, when he was ready to go home, early in the morning he was ready to go, ready to go every morning, ready to go early in the morning. And the father-in-law had to restrain him. Now, he knows that his, not all night, at the breaking of day, he doesn't, he's not out there looking for her. When it's light, finally he opens the door to get going. And her Lord's, Lord rose up in the morning, not early in the morning, just in the morning, and opened the doors of the house and went out to go his way. And behold, the woman, his concubine, was fallen down at the door of the house. And this, this is the saddest part when I read this. And her hands were upon the threshold. She, she is seeking him. She, she's going back to her protector. She, she's just been exposed and, and abused and vulnerable. And she goes back to her, and her, she's reaching out to her protector. And what does he do? And he said unto her, up. Are you okay? I'm sorry, like, I'm sorry it came to this. Are you, you know, up. So she's a dog to him. She's nothing to him. She's just useful. She was just uh, a convenience to him. Up. And let us be going. But none answered. She was dead. They raped her to death. Israel. The people of the covenant. These things are written for our admonition. This is what happens when Satan gets into, seductively gets into, the minds of human beings, even those of the covenant. Then the man took her up upon a donkey. So remember, he had brought the donkey specifically for her, so he puts her on. And the man rose up and got him to his place. So you just got this cold, callous. This is a Levite, and there's just this coldness to him. And when he was coming to his house, first thing, so he's, he's thinking what he's going to do on the way. And as soon as he gets in, there's no prayer here. There's no relationship with God. He just knows what he's going to do. When he's coming to his house, he took a knife and laid hold on his concubine and divided her. 
and again, the, the Levites were the butchers. The Levites knew how to divide flesh and divided her together with her bones into 12 pieces. So he knew exactly how to chop it into 12 pieces and sent her into all the coasts of Israel. So if you read in Leviticus 1 and verse 5, the Levites will kill the bullock before the Lord and the priest Aaron's sons shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood round about upon the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into his pieces. So they were skilled at cutting up animals. And so he just treats the woman's body like an animal and just cuts it up and then sends it. And it was so that all that saw it said there was no such deed done nor seen from the day that the children of Israel came up out of the land of Egypt unto this day. Consider it and speak your minds. So he is now appealing to all the tribes of Israel to look what has happened and to make a consideration of what they need to do. And I was hoping to get uh, just through all of this ugliness um, and get into the rest of the ugliness uh, in chapter 20 so we could just have it all in one go. But it's, uh, it's getting on. So I think I will stop here. That's Judges 19. Uh, why don't I just cover the first part of uh, uh, chapter 20 because I did say 19 to 20. But I did um, refer here as I, I was concluding I thought I would just include this in Daniel 12. That at this time, after the, this, all of this horrible uh, things happened, uh, Mike will finally stand up. The great prince which stands for the children of your people. So Daniel, uh, his people are the Jews. So Michael will stand for them. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. This is in future. We're heading into unprecedented trouble. Satan knows he has a short time. And as we head into this trouble, again, many of God's people are going to fall victim to Satan's devices because they're not married and stuck to the word of God. They're not anchored in the word of God. They're getting swept up with social justice nonsense. So this trouble is coming. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. Not all, the ones that are written in the book. Now, Daniel doesn't understand. He's told to go his way because the, the, the words are closed and sealed to the time of the end. But at the time of the end, you know, we upon whom the ends of the age have come, who are reading the scriptures so that we will not get seduced by Satan, he says, at this time, many shall be purified. So there are many that are not in the covenant right now that are going to repent and come into the covenant. And, and these are speaking specifically of Daniel's people. That, you know, Isaiah says that we have to proclaim this gospel to Judah, to Jerusalem. And they will, they will be purified through this process and made white and tried. But listen to this. But the wicked shall do wickedly. So amongst the covenant people, there will be wicked Physical covenant people, but also first fruits covenant people. We're going to give ourselves over to wickedness, thinking it is right in our own eyes. We're not listening to the elders. We don't care about structure. We don't care about authority in the church. We don't care about God's structure that he gave. Every man does what's right in his own eyes. And so while we're doing what's right in our own eyes, just as in Judges, God is looking and he's saying, this is wickedness. And Daniel now understands from, from this instruction 
that the wicked shall do wickedly. What are we doing? You know, what's our level of hospitality for God's people? What's our level of discernment for the body of Christ versus everybody else? What's our level of discernment of the covenant people versus everybody else? Do we understand that if we do uh, what we do unto the least of these, God's people, we've done it unto Christ? But the wicked shall do wickedly. Covenant people shall do wickedly. And it's going to be very clear he's talking about covenant. He's, he's not referring to uh, evil people outside the covenant. This is specifically that some are going to be purified, but some won't be. And that's the dividing line. That's what this is all about. Who's in and who's out. But the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand. They're going to be fighting against this. They're going to have their own um, standards of righteousness. They're going to be pursuing their standards with, with passion but not according to the word of God. So they won't understand. But the wise shall understand. And Christ tells us in John that he tells us these things ahead of time that we won't be offended. They're going to be offended. We won't be. We understand what this is all about. And we've given our lives to Christ. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Out of their, who's they? Out of, why would we be in, in, in pagan assemblies? We're going to be in assemblies of brethren. And they're going to put us out. Yes, the time comes that whoever kills you will think that he does God's service. Every man's doing what's right in his own eyes to the point where they will murder the people of God. Talk about not being hospitable. They will do anything. If, if they will kill you, they will rape you. They'll do anything because their mind has been taken over in this end time when Satan is really, really active. So I'm just going to read one verse from Judges 20 so that my placard up front will be accurate that it was Judges 19 and 20. Uh, then all the children of Israel went out and the congregation was gathered together as one man. They were like, they were, this was, was beyond the pale. They were stunned by this. They, they've never seen anything like this. So the whole, all, finally all of Israel comes together as one man, from Dan even to Beersheba, with the land of Gilead unto the Lord in Mizpah. So now they have a dilemma, and they need to come together and figure out what they're going to do. And God willing, we will cover that uh, next week as we look at how Israel responds to this egregious behavior, things they've never seen. But this, these are the same people that rejoiced and came out of Egypt with a high hand. And something happened as they come into the promised land. The doctrines that Moses gave them, instead of those doctrines being faithfully passed down and faithfully adhered to, the doctrines of demons took over and they gave themselves over to wicked behavior these things are written for our examples pleading with you brethren read the scriptures read them with a view that this this is written for why why would this be recorded why would god record this why, why do we have to uh, read such difficult text why, why do we have to read such well, this is unnecessary i think except no it's here. It's necessary. So let's meditate on this and let's help each other to withstand the seductive influence of, of the, the pagan sodomite uh, nations around us. And let's stick to Torah. Let's stick to Christ. Let's stick to each other and let's help each other through this. We haven't even begun. We haven't even begun. 
You, you think it's bad now? No, 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 no. This is just reconfiguration, upsetting, just, just stirring the pot a bit as we reconfigure. Once the nations are reconfigured, then we're going to see evil. Then we're going to see, you see today people will, everybody's bowing to Balaam because they're afraid. Wait till you see what's coming. And wait till you see Christians bowing to what comes because they haven't bowed to Christ fully. Let's bow to Christ fully. What a wonderful, wonderful God he is. He is awesome. He is mighty. He is righteous. He is severe. And he is kind. Let's bow to Christ. Let's worship Christ. And let's withstand this gathering evil. Amen. God bless. Thank <clears throat> you.